Can you give me a little pep talk? You've got this. <laughs> okay. I'm so happy to be doing it with you. And I'm really glad that we're doing this today. Are you being facetious? No. Okay. Do you know what we're talking about today? Yeah. Hiya. I'm Jerry. I'm a trans woman. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm Sarah Kramer, and my pronouns are also she, her. Are, are we doing our last names? I'm also a Kramer. And also I meant to say pronouns. Welcome to Meet the Kramers. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or follow our podcast, and we would love a review. But only if it's nice. If you don't like our show, off you go. Actually, before we start the episode, first we need to talk about the fake news from the last episode, where I said that I was five foot three and a half. You said I was 5'1". It was very confusing, so we got a measuring tape out, and I am 5'2 and 3 eighths. <laughs> so I just wanted to clarify that for the listeners, because I know people were probably really worried about, like, how tall am I? You're 6'3", everybody knows that, but there was a lot of confusion last episode about my height. I am 5'2 and 3 eighths. Is it? Is it 5'2"? You measured me! I, isn't it 5'1 and 3 eighths? <laughs> Where's the fucking measurement? <laughs> Here. Here. Oh yeah, 5'2 five two. Five yeah. Two and 3 eighths. Apology accepted. Five, wait, I didn't hear it. I didn't say it. <laughs> anyway, the reason we wanted to do the podcast was because... Um, you were sort of searching the internet for different podcasts and different articles to read. And everything that you read or everything that you found was about like the nuts and bolts, like how to change your gender marker, how to talk to your doctor, how to um, get your driver's license changed. But you couldn't find anything that was uh, about like having a loving relationship with someone and being trans. I'm happy to do something that I would have liked to have listened to in the late part of 2019, when I was really kind of struggling, trying to find something to listen to that could sort of say, hey, it's going to be okay, uh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so we hope that buddy is out there listening. Yeah. And kind of get something from this podcast. Just a little bit. Because that was my biggest concern was like, what is going to happen to our relationship? Because I knew that we've always had a solid relationship. But when you came out, uh, my first uh, panic was... How is this going to work? And we're going to talk all about that in upcoming episodes. But it's one of the things that I wanted to just mention today about why we started the podcast was that we just wanted to do something together. We wanted to make something for Buddy out there in case Buddy needs to hear a story about love and transness and queerness. And also for me, with coming out, it's changed a lot about the way that I feel about other people and how they think of me. In the past, I've found that I wouldn't want to talk about things or put my life out into the public eye or have an opinion that someone else might hear because I wanted everyone to like me. Coming out has sort of helped me realize that not everybody's going to like me. And, and it's more important that I find the people that not only like me, but the people that love me. They can't find me if... I'm hiding. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> so why do you think it's important that we talk about this uh, certain incident in our 
relationship? I think it's really important that we talk about the context of our experiences leading up to my self-discovery. It's important because there's a lot of things that happened as a result of what happened to you. And I, I think you are so wonderful and so amazing that I don't like the idea of painting you as a monster that kept me in the closet. I want everyone to know circumstances that led to it. And it is in no way a reflection on either of our character. And I think that that's a really important thing to put out there because I don't want, I don't want anybody to misunderstand where it was coming from. I just, I think it's really important. I don't think that you should have to carry that anymore. Thank you. So this is a tough episode. And before we start, uh, we're going to start with a trigger warning. There's some sexual violence discussed in this episode. So please take care of yourself if you do decide to listen. Uh, Some of the names have been changed and I'm going to be speaking only about my own experience, which might be different than how other people experienced uh, it. But that's how memories work. Everybody has a different version. Um, We left our last episode on a bit of a cliffhanger with my robbery. So I'm going to give you an overview of what happened and how it kind of changed everything in our lives. And I also want to say that sometimes when I talk about this event, you're going to hear me laugh or make jokes, and that is a stress response, and it serves several functions. It's an unconscious way to minimize the traumatic experience, and in a way it protects trauma survivors from feeling like the depth of the pain. And in a format like this, I want to talk about the facts, and you don't really need to hear me process my pain. There's that laugh. Um, And that's what I pay my therapist for. So I uh, did want to acknowledge it and let you know that I'm aware that I do it. And so here's the story of what happened when I went down to New Orleans. This was pre-internet, or at least we didn't have access to the internet. It was pre-cell phones. So we had no way of contacting each other except through pay phones. I met up with my friend and her friend in Memphis, and we had a great time. The three of us stayed at another friend's house. And her place was in the basement of a building, or I i don't think it was a house. It was more of an artist loft. And I can't remember where we slept or anything about it, except that it was right next door, or at least very close to Sun Records, where Elvis recorded. And I was super enchanted with Memphis. It was like, there was so much history everywhere we went, and Graceland was amazing. And I remember especially Elvis's house in particular because it was super garish, which is my vibe, but it was also really homey and it was a lot smaller than I expected. And then after we had some fun in Memphis, um, the three of us had a plan to go to New Orleans or New Orleans. I don't know how you say it. And anytime anybody asked us where we were going next on our trip, um, they would say, be careful there or watch yourself or it can be tricky in New Orleans. And we were like, yeah, 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 whatever. We didn't have a lot of money, so we were couch surfing our entire trip. And somehow my friend had a hookup with some punk girls in New Orleans who said that they were going to put us up on their couch. And so we drove there from Memphis and it was really, I don't know what time it was. It was probably after midnight. And we drove around looking for the houses using a paper map because remember, there was no GPS or cell phones. And so we found the street, but we couldn't find the corresponding house number. So we Um, all got out of the car and we tried to find the numbers of the houses because it was late and all the porch lights were off. And so 
We were looking around. We knew we were on the right street, but we could not find the number. And the houses were so cute. They were like, you know, New Orleans style with like little verandas and little shotgun houses. And I was really enamored with the neighborhood that we were in. And we saw uh, these three dudes up the block and one of them got on their bike and started riding our way. And he said, are you ladies lost? And we were like, yeah, we're looking for blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, are they kind of punky like you? And we were like, yeah, that's them. And then he pulled a gun out of somewhere and he pointed it at, at us. And then everything just turned into a slow motion movie. Am I talking too fast? I don't think so. Okay. <clears throat> Can I just say, I never knew what happened at night. Oh. Makes it so much sadder. <laughs> yeah. And everything turned into a slow motion movie. And it's hard to remember the sequence of events because I completely disassociated from my body. Um, I remember grabbing my friend's hand and we just stood there frozen. And I don't even remember the other girl being there, but I know that she was. And um, at first he wanted our wallets and he was shoving the gun at us and yelling for our money. Um, but at the same time, he was being angry with my friend who turned around to get her wallet. And it was just like mad chaos. Uh, we gave him our wallets so we didn't have very much money and that made him mad. And then he started becoming verbally and physically abusive. I won't go into details, but I was violated and I don't know what happened with the other girls. Um, I do remember that my friend was being really good with him and saying, you know, like, it's okay, you're okay, take what you want, it's okay. And all I was doing was trying so hard not to piss my pants. That's honestly the thing I remember the most is just trying not to piss my pants. Uh, <clears throat> I couldn't talk or move. I was like completely frozen and I disassociated so much that when he put the gun to my face and I'm not sure, but I think he might've put it in my mouth. Uh, I wasn't there. I was so far inside myself. It was like um, I was in the dark looking through a tiny little tunnel. He kept calling us stupid white woman and white bitches and white devil. And I naively kept thinking, why is he so mad at me? Because we're white. <laughs> Not funny. Sorry. And uh, he grabbed the keys to the car and he lined us up on the sidewalk and he had us get on our knees. And I thought for sure he was going to shoot us. But instead, he hit me across the face with the butt of the gun, which at the time felt like he hit me with a pillow. And he hit my friend on the head as well. And I honestly, I'm not sure about the other girl. And then he got in the car and he drove away. And I remember looking at my friends in shock and we pounded on the doors of the houses, um, screaming for help. Uh, nobody answered because we found out later it was a dangerous part of town. And so, uh, of course, they're not going to open their door. <laughs> uh, we started running towards what looked like a main street and my legs were like lead. Uh, it was really difficult to run and my friend just like dragged me down the street uh, we flagged down a security car and then an ambulance arrived. And I hardly remember anything except making small talk with the driver when they asked us where we were from. And I said, oh, we're from Canada. Blah, 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 blah. Like nothing bad had just happened. Um, we went to the hospital and my friend had to get stitches in her head. And I have no idea where the other girl was. I'm so sorry. Um, I don't remember if she was injured or anything about her. Uh, it's so weird because she's been completely purged from my memory. Anyway, I was tasked with handling the paperwork and there I was all disheveled and covered in my friend's blood trying to do the paperwork when a 
lady came up to me and asked me how I got my hair to look the way it did. I think at the time I had some um, bright orange punky color in it or something. And this tells you how bad my people pleasing is because I stopped what I was doing and I told her how I did my hair. Like I wasn't covered in blood and like I wasn't just sexually assaulted. <sighs> then I went to a payphone uh, to cancel everybody's credit cards and I called my stepmom and I somehow croaked out to her that we'd been robbed and we didn't have any money. And I asked her if she could Western Union me some cash and then during that conversation, a custodian came over to me and said, uh, sorry to bother you. I heard what happened. I know it's not very much, but I hope it helps. And he handed me $2. <laughs> and his business card, which I still have. And I was completely overcome with um, gratitude. Because at my most hopeless, this sweet man came over to me with such kindness and it, it really filled me up. It really helped me focus on what I needed to do and not fall apart. And I still have his business card and I mailed him a few years ago and I thanked him for his kindness and he remembered me. And so we had a nice back and forth email for a little bit. You're doing great. Thank you. So after I made all the phone calls... Uh, I went back and I checked on my friends and then I went over to the nurse's station I'd, and I told them, like, we have nothing. Um, at no time did I tell them that I had been sexually assaulted. It didn't even cross my mind because I was in fix-it mode and I was just so worried about the people that I was with. And um, But I did manage to tell them that he had taken our wallets, our passports, took all of our money, our credit cards uh, that we had. We didn't have any clothing. So the nurses got us a hotel room. I have no idea how they paid for it or how that happened. Um, they also gave us scrubs and like $20 in cash or something. I have no recollection of getting to the hotel, but I do remember um, the front desk had little packages for us that had toothpaste and toothbrushes. Uh, the nurses must have told them, I don't know. And then we went to our room, uh, washed my underwear in the sink, and then we all got into our scrubs and we just laid there and watched TV because it must have been, I have no idea <laughs> what time it was. It must have been really late. I do remember calling the house uh, to leave you a message on our answering machine. Uh, do you remember what I said? I don't. I don't remember exactly what you said, but I do remember how panicked and scared I was. I remember trying to make it sound so that it wasn't too bad because I had no way of knowing when I could check back in with you. And like I said, we didn't have cell phones, so I knew we were we were going to like try and get back home, but I didn't know when I was going to call you again, so I... I remember, like, I remember saying something like, hey, yeah, we're okay. <laughs> we got robbed. We're at a hotel. I'll call you back later. Yeah. Uh, I just, I remember I was definitely like really panicked about it and like helpless. Did JB tell you about the phone call? I don't remember. I just remember the feeling, the panic <laughs> feeling and, and how helpless I felt. And then did you just have to wait by the phone or did you have to go to work? I don't remember. So in the morning, uh, the police called us and they told us that they'd found our car. And so they picked us up and I got to ride in the back seat <laughs> of the police cruiser. And I just remember sitting there thinking how weird it was that it was like a, it was like a plastic bucket. Like there was no, it wasn't soft. It was a <laughs> plastic bucket in the back. That's what it felt like. The whole thing was made of plastic. And I was like, this is weird. What's this about? Because I'd never been in a police car before. 
So the policeman drove us uh, to an abandoned parking lot and it looked like our car, like somebody had tried to set our car on fire. And the three of us got out and we started trying to salvage our stuff and the cop was real shifty. And he was like, let's just see if it even works and get out of here as quickly as possible. The car started and we drove back to the police station and the police station was shocking to me because it was just like falling apart. Um, There was nothing about it that felt like a police station. It looked like it was held together with like duct tape. He was really sweet and he helped us with our police report and he let us call the consulate to see about how we were going to get across back over the border. And this was like before 9-11, so it was much easier to cross back and forth back then. And when we told him what happened, he said um, that we were really lucky um, that our assailant was in his 40s and not any younger because he said if it had been somebody who was a teenager Um, or younger, or like just a young adult, they would have probably just shot us and taken the car. Um, That was sobering. (laughs) Uh, The car was okay enough to drive, and we drove to Western Union, and we got the money from my stepmom, and then we headed to Target or some store like that, and we bought underwear and things we needed for the road trip back home. And I don't know where in the story that this happened, but I do remember going to the Waffle House and rubbing my face and saying like, why does my jaw hurt so much? My jaw was clicking and it, it hurt to eat. And my friend was like, because he hit you with his gun. And I honestly remembered it that he had hit me with a pillow. Like I thought he took my pillow from the back seat and hit me with the pillow. And then I think I spoke to you again to say that the wedding was going to be canceled. I remember feeling like worried that you were going to be mad about it. Like I don't even know how you and JB were going to get down to we Las were Vegas. drive. In what car? K car. <laughs> That would have gone well. Or the Pinto. That was probably the Pinto. Well, we had a long way to get home, back up to Canada. And so we just continued on our trip. And we drove to Las Vegas. And I have no idea why we didn't ditch the car and ask our family to fly us home. Um, It's wild when I think about it now as an adult. I'm just like, why didn't I just get on a plane and get the fuck home? But we continued our road trip. And um, the thing that always blows my mind is that you never know how you're going to (laughs) do under duress. And we just tried to soldier on like nothing had happened. Um, My friend and um, the other girl that was with us took turns driving the car because I didn't have my driver's license. And uh, we slept on the side of highways. (laughs) And eventually we made it to Vegas and we got a hotel room in a divey hotel in a sketchy part of Vegas. And we wandered the strip. Like nothing had happened and I have Polaroids from Las Vegas and we're like smiling and mugging for the camera. And when I look back at it now, it's just, it's just wild. I do remember getting a shitty motel at some point during the trip home, maybe, I don't know, probably California and going for a swim in the pool in my underwear and a tank tox. I didn't have any bathing suit. Being in the water has always been such a happy safe place for me. And so as soon as I hit the water and started swimming laps, I just started bawling and I um, swam a little more. And then I went into the hotel room to have a shower just to get rid of the chlorine smell. And I just like fell apart again in the shower. And it was just like in the movies, you know, where the person like slides down the wall of the shower and starts sobbing. And I was like stifling my sobs into a towel because I was trying to hide how devastated I was for my friends. And you would think that the three of us would find comfort in each other. But I, for myself, I just like pushed all of my emotions deep down inside of me 
we did talk about what happened on the drive back. Um, I do remember us trying to humanize our attacker and we gave him a name <laughs> and we hoped that our stuff that he stole from us was being used by his family. Like maybe his kids would like my clothes or that Partridge family lunchbox that I'd found at a thrift store. So it's a blur uh, between Vegas and getting home. But I do remember being on the Coho Ferry and pulling into the port of Victoria and seeing downtown Victoria on the horizon. We crossed the border with all our police paperwork and they didn't even care. They just said, welcome home. (laughs) And I don't remember driving through town. I don't remember pulling up to the house. I don't, like once the boat docked, I don't remember anything. Do you remember when I came home? Do you remember when you first saw me? No, I, I don't, not at all. I feel like, I feel like I might've been working and I may have just been waiting for you, but I, I really like, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember it at all. I don't either. You just weren't, I remember you being in the house, hearing your phone message and feeling so panicked and helpless. I remember locking myself in our bedroom and like just reading, not doing anything but reading. Like reading a book? Reading a book and like, and then going to work and then coming home and locking myself in the bedroom and like reading. Just passing time, I think. I think it took us three days to get home, three or four days to, yeah. get, to drive home. Yeah. And then in my, in my memories, then you were back. I don't remember when though. How wild that I don't even remember seeing you or like hugging you or anything. Yeah. I was just back. Yeah. I do uh, remember me and my friend recounting what happened to our friends and we were like laughing about it and like it was a hilarious road story. (laughs) And I also remember some of my friends saying like, you should have done this or you should have kicked him in the balls or there was three of you. Why didn't you fight him? And I was really devastated by the lack of understanding at what it, it was like for us. But at the same time, we were making light of it. So it's kind of a mixed message. I feel like we were giving our friends and actually it was pretty mixed up in my head because it wasn't until I talked to a friend who I've known since I was a kid, she lives in another city. And I told her on the phone what happened to me. And I told her the details and she said, I think you've been sexually assaulted and you need to talk to somebody. And I was like, no, I don't think so. That I wasn't like sexually assaulted. And then she's like, no, I think, I think you were. I think you need to talk to somebody. So I wish I had called the Sexual Assault Center in Victoria, but um, instead I called the Eric Martin Institute, which was like a local mental health facility. And I made an appointment with a counselor and I told them what happened to me. And they recommend I work with a group therapy group that was just for women. I... Looking back, I really feel like I should have spoken to someone who deals with sexual assault because the group was great and I learned a lot about communicating. Um, But I really needed to talk to somebody who had more expertise about sexual violence because we didn't really talk about that in this group therapy thing. It was more about women who have experienced violence and how to create boundaries. And I really needed to like download my experience to somebody. Um, So anyway, around that time you and I moved out of the punk house. It just kind of disbanded. And the house for me was like full of too many people and too many noises. And I was really delicate and I wasn't emotionally functioning very well. And I just needed peace and quiet. So 
we got our own place and it was the first time that we actually like lived together alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you remember anything? And we isolated. We were really isolated big time. Um, do you remember anything about that time? Like and what it was like? Yeah. Well, one, it was weird because of because that apartment was your ex-boyfriend's. <laughs> and it was so dirty. And it, I feel like I, I always felt like you somehow made him give it to you. He didn't want to. No, I, those guys were moving out. And I said to him, if I, I please, I need to move somewhere quiet. I feel like I'm losing my mind. If you could please find it in your heart to, to like turn the lease over to me instead of the other people that you were thinking about, I am begging you. I see. To give me this apartment. I need to go somewhere where it's quiet. And the house that we moved into was like a, like a 1900s house. It was, I think our rent was like 325. Um, but you know, it also had raccoons in the attic and knob and tube wiring and it was falling apart. When it rained, one room had a 10 foot crack in the ceiling that water just poured in and there was just 15 pots on the ground. And you just made sure you changed them. Yeah, we, we got what we paid for. Yeah. But also, it was also felt like a really safe space because it was just this, like, the second floor of this old house. It kind of felt like a tree house. Yeah. And it was really quiet. It was a quiet part of town. And I just, I feel like um, I was able to decompress a little bit there without having to feel like I had to take care of anybody else but myself. Yeah. Our lives changed so much in that apartment I feel like we lived there for 10 years. I was just going to say, I feel like we didn't live there for very long, but we lived a lot of life in that house. A lot of things happened in that yeah. house. That shithole house. Yeah. I think we'd only been there for another, like maybe a month in our new place. I decided that I still wanted to marry you. Actually, more than ever, it was imperative right. that I married you. And so I bought a flight to Vegas to get married at the Graceland Wedding Chapel. And we flew down, we eloped, um, just the two of us. And we stayed at a Motel 6. And we got our rings at a tacky tourist shop for like $15 or something. On that trip, we moved from our Motel 6. So we spent one night in Caesars Palace because that's all we could afford. We also walked our luggage from Motel 6 (laughs) to Caesars Palace. We didn't take a cab. We walked 45 minutes. And then, because uh, I wanted to spend our wedding night somewhere fancy, so yeah. we spent that one night at Caesar's Palace. And then we got married by Elvis, and then we moved back to the Motel 6. Uh, and then I think we flew home. But what we did is, um, uh, again, no internet. So we just sent postcards to all of our family and friends, and that's how we told everybody that we got married. My Zeta, who's my grandfather, he gave us $1,000 as a wedding gift, but... In typical Zeta fashion, he parsed it out in $100 <laughs> monthly increments because I don't believe, I don't think yearly. he really, I don't think he really believed that we got married. <laughs> it was yearly increments. Yearly. Yearly. Oh my God, you're right. Here's $100 for your first year. That's right. <laughs> There's 900 more if you can make it. That's right. And he, he died when we lived in that house. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so okay. my my Zeta died shortly after. Okay. And his death was shocking. And because I was already in fight or flight mode, it really like set me off. And my 
step-grandmother uh, called me. I picked up the phone. I was like, hello. And she said abruptly, he's dead. And I was like, what? And she's like, your Zeta is dead. I found him in his chair. He's gone. Tell your dad. And then she hung up the phone. And so without thinking, because uh, I was already in fight or flight mode, I just called my dad and I said the exact same thing to him the way Lee said it to me. And it was fucking terrible. But it was a really good lesson for me because one of the things I learned from that is that just because it feels urgent doesn't mean that it is urgent. And I should have just sat with my feelings for like 30 minutes or something and just figured out the best way to tell my dad that his dad had just died. And then the other thing I learned from that is that when you talk to somebody about bad news, just start with the words, I have bad news because it gives the other person a few seconds to process that the bad news is coming. Anyway, what was it like for you to see what I was like when I came back? It was really hard because you were in so many ways exactly the same. And in every sort of intimate part of our life from before you went on your trip to when you got back, it all ended so you were the same to hang out with, but I couldn't touch you. Right. You couldn't even come up behind me when I was like washing dishes at the sink without me being startled or... I still can't. You still can't. Yeah. It was like a lot of PTSD that we didn't really yeah. understand. Were you in fix-it mode? Like, did you feel like you had to take care of me? No, because you were. Like, you were doing all the things to fix it. You were telling me that you needed to get therapy and you needed to go to this group. Well, you used to make me go to group. because I definitely would make you go. Because the days that I had group were the days I had a really bad stomach ache. Yeah, I would make you go. I would drive you. And, and, and you would be like, I don't, I don't feel like going today. And I'd be like, no, that's every Tuesday. <laughs> you have to go. Yeah. And when you would go to group, I would wear your clothes. Because that was the hour that I had that no one was going to bother me. Because before you started going to group, we had purchased our first computer. I had discovered trans pornography. Uh, that was the same time that I said to you, uh, I've been reading about uh, transgender people and I think that's me. And what did I say? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. I don't like it. I think what I said was, no, I can't deal with this. Don't you know what I've been through? I don't want this. I want to be married to a man. You just, you didn't say you want to. What did I say? You said you married a man. And it's one of the most shameful moments of my life. If you feel like you need to talk to someone, you can visit endingviolence.org where you can search for your city or province and find a crisis line to call. If you're in the U.S., you can contact RAINN.org. Their number is 800-656-4673. There is also translifeline.org, which is a support phone service run by trans people. In Canada, you can call 877-330-6366 and in the U.S., 877-565-8860. All you have to say is, hi, I need to talk to someone, and they'll take it from there.
Sound engineering for this episode by Gavin Stacy. If you want to get in touch with us with constructive feedback, share a story, or just send us some love, you can email us at info at meetthekramers.net. Tune into our next episode about the first time Jerry came out to me as a trans woman in 1996. Until then, take good care. Thanks for listening. <laughs>